It is my privilege to bring God's word to you this morning, and I'm excited about that. And as I uh, prepared for this message, I started to think about, Erica and I invited some missionaries over our home about five years ago, some Australian missionaries. Erica used to work for an organization called Global Recording Network, and uh, they're, a, they're an evangelistic gospel um, mission, and they have missionaries all over the world, and we hosted some Australian missionaries, and one of them had never been to the United States, and they came in for dinner, and admittedly, I thought that like, they would show up in like crocodile dundee hats and the bowie knives and stuff like that. Um, they did not. Um, and as we started talking, I asked one of them, I said, so what do you think about America? And he goes, well, it's not what I expected. And I said, oh, really? He's like, yeah, I thought everyone would have cowboy hats on and be wearing cowboy boots. And I said, huh. And then one thing he did say, he's like, but one thing that, I, that did ring true is that you guys have American flags everywhere. And I was like, what? No, we don't. And as he's saying that, he's pointing out my window, and both my neighbors have their flags up. My daughter had just painted a picture of the American flag that was on the wall. And I said, okay, I guess you're right. You see, we get having national pride in America. And for me, growing up, being American was synonymous with being Christian. If you were an American, you were a Christian. That's just how it was. I don't know if that's how you grew up. And my image of the church was very much influenced on my image of our nation. Now, a few weeks ago, JP shared with you some Barna research about the most post-Christian states in the Union. And if you can see this slide, I kind of took the same, uh, same thing. You see all those dots on the northeastern side of the country. We live in a post-Christian society here in New England. And we feel the tension of being a Christian here. For many of us, it feels almost like something's, not, something's out of place, like things aren't the way they used to be. There's this unstableness, this, this, this fear almost. You know, even when I grew up, it was like, if you didn't go to church, you had some sort of Judeo-Christian ethic that everyone agreed upon. But it doesn't seem like that anymore. And there's an unsettledness about that. And we see it all over the place. And it's for this very reason that Peter writes to a dispersed group of churches in Asia Minor. The church had went out and dispersed all over the known world, and these churches were experiencing persecution. The nations that they resided in were not too excited to have Christians amongst them. And so Peter sends them a letter to encourage them, reminding them of the nation they truly belong to and the implications of that citizenship. So if you can, turn to 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. That's what we're going to be in today. And as you turn, let me pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that for your word. We pray that you would be with us, that your spirit would be here filling us, revealing the truth of your word. We thank you that we have the freedom to speak boldly of who you are. 
So be with us. May you be glorified in this. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to continue our sermon series called Images of the Church. And we're going to look at the church as a nation. Now I want to bring up five things that Peter reveals to us about the church. So the first thing we see is the church is a chosen nation. Verse Peter 9 says, But you are a chosen people. Now the word chosen here means you're an elect people. You're an elect people of God. And the word people in the Greek is genos. And it refers to belonging to the same genetic stock that cohesively works together. You see, we are elected by God and we are then placed into the church. When he elects us, we put our faith in Christ and we're put into this invisible universal church that extends beyond geography, extends beyond time. So there's a connection between us right here in this room and the Christians that are overseas. We are part of the same church, the invisible church as it's often called. And it extends, again, geography, extends time. We have a connection with Everyone and anyone who has ever put their faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter reminds the scattered, persecuted churches that their citizenship and identity is determined by their election. And he further encourages them to live in the light of that election. You see, they're discouraged. They're in, this, in, their, in their respective countries and they're dealing with this persecution and they're just like, I don't even, I don't even know what's going on, God. We just, things are so hard here. We're being persecuted. And, and Peter's reminding them that you belong to something bigger. Something bigger that you don't even have any idea about. And it's, it extends time. And as the church, we must live in the identity as God's chosen people. And we must live in the light of our election. If you put your faith in Christ, God has elected you and you've been placed in his universal, invisible church that honors Christ. And there's purpose there. What does that mean to live in the light of our election? It means we stand firm in our heavenly country of origin. No matter what happens here locally, we are part of his church. You must see things from a global, eternal, Christocentric perspective. Anything that happens here locally is all part of God's redemptive, sovereign plan, and we're part of that. The fact is, is God is still in control. Do you believe that? Do you demonstrate that? <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> We must live in the light of our election. That's the first thing. The second thing, we see the church is a priestly nation. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. I find it interesting that Peter uses this, um, this analogy to describe the church. You see, this harkens back to Exodus 19.6, when the nation of Israel came forth before Mount Sinai, where God had manifested his being, and he commissioned Israel to be a nation of kingdom priests and go amongst the nation. But now Peter uses this to describe the church. 
You see, upon faith in Christ, we enter into a priesthood of all believers and are given authority by the high priest, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit and called to be religious practitioners mediating the very presence of Jesus Christ. You see, 1 Peter 2.5, Peter says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's interesting being a full-time pastor now. I reflect back, I mean, my first two decades of life, I, I worked every single day in, as a Marine, and it was interesting being in that setting. It's not necessarily a Christian setting. But as soon as someone knows you're a Christian, it's, it's interesting. Like they, it's kind of like Nicodemus. Like They find you at night, and they want to ask you all these questions. Now, publicly, they might not be on your side, but privately, they come, and they want to talk through these things, these spiritual things. And if that's the exact opportunities in our lives that we could mediate the very presence of Christ. And I don't want this to get right, blow right past us here. Remember who Peter is telling this to. He's telling this to persecuted churches. He's saying, listen, I know you're persecuted and people hate you, but you need to mediate the very presence of Christ. You are a royal priesthood. You can imagine hearing those words or reading those words like, what? And that, that's the same situation we find ourselves in. We're called to mediate the very presence, be a royal priesthood. So let me ask you, how do you mediate the presence of Christ in your current context? There's got to be a person, a situation. How do you do it? Are you doing it? That's the second thing. The third thing. The church is a holy nation. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a pure nation. Now, Peter switches it up a little bit here on us. The word nation, he's describing the people, he's describing the church. He uses the Greek word ethnos, which means a large group of people that have physical or cultural or geographic ties. He kind of makes it smaller. It's a smaller expression of what he just mentioned before. And really what he's talking about here is he's talking about the local church. He's talking about free Christian church. All local churches that are gathered around. You see, this is the visible church. We can see everyone here. This is the visible church. And the expression of the invisible church, the, the larger church, is this local body right here. That's why being a member of a church is such a huge, major deal. Now, encourage you, if you want to know more about that, we have our discovery course next Sunday, what it means to be a member of the church, this local church. But as God's holy nation, we are commanded to be holy, pure. Well, what does that look like? Well, Peter tells us. First Peter 13 through 16 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he has called you, you called you holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You see, we are called to be countercultural. 
We're called to be alert instead of careless. We're called to be sober instead of inebriated, hopeful instead of despairing, nonconformist instead of conforming to the culture. As God's local and visible church, we are called to be the local expression of God's holy nation here in Andover and North Andover. But what does that mean? It means we should be different. We should be different. When people walk through those doors, it should feel different. They should walk in here and go, there's something different about this place. And I don't mean like a creepy different. I mean like a good different. <laughs> we should act different, speak different. Why? Because our message is different. We have a hopeful message of Jesus Christ crucified. We serve a king who is countercultural and different in every single way. And I showed you that stat, that picture with all the little dots on the northeast. Look at the opportunity we have to engage with our culture. The fact is, is it won't take much for us to look different here. We just have to be Christians and be holy. You know, maybe because I'm from California, maybe I notice the differences a little bit more, but I totally do. And that's a California word, by the way, totally. Uh, it's funny because in California, I have dress flip-flops. I'm not joking. That's a real thing, by the way. That does not exist in New England. And if I was to wear my dress flip-flops to preach, you would be like, wow, that is way different. And you'd probably tell me to get out and put some shoes on. My toes would be frozen. <laughs> and for us in the church, God's local church, free Christian church, it doesn't take much for us to be different in the culture. We have an excellent opportunity. Now maybe you're saying, this is going to have a really, <laughs> this is going to have an impact on my life if I do that, if I change. Remember who Peter's talking to. He's talking to a persecuted church. He's saying, be holy. Here's the thing. God doesn't say, be happy because I am happy. He says, be holy because I am holy. Does God care about our happiness? Yeah, but you know what he really cares about? Your holiness. That's what he's calling us to be. Calling us to be holy. This will have an impact on your life. Circumstances might not look that good when you go to do this. Remember the king that we serve and remember the eternal plan that God has for his elect. Now maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I don't know how. I don't even know how to engage the culture, Brian. Well, it starts off first with reading your word, reading God's word. The best news or best sound a pastor could hear is when he says, turn to this scripture and you, he hears the sounds of the, of, of the Bible moving or clicking or whatever. Like, that's like music to my ears. We need to be men and women of the word. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. We need to dig in here and say, how, how do we engage our culture? Well, God has the answer. We also got to take advantage of the things that we have here. We have people that God has equipped to equip the local church, to equip you. For example, November 17th, we're having a Q Comments course 
You'll, you can know more about that if you look on the, over in the rotunda. But it's basically how do we engage the culture? We have tools here. God has given us that. His word and then others have been gifted in that way. So that's the third thing. The fourth thing, we see that the church is a special nation. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now here we go again. Peter is mixing it up. He's, he's using terms to describe the church, but he uses a different word, a different Greek word. Instead of all the other words, he now uses the idea of possession or people. He uses the Greek term laos. And I find that interesting because this is the term that was used to describe Israel in the Old Testament. But yet, here we have Peter describing it, describing the church with this, this word. 1 Peter 2.10, it says, Once you were not a people, Laos, now you are a people, Laos, of God. You see, Peter believes that those who put their faith in Christ are the seed of Abraham and the true Israel, his end times people. You see, there's always only been one people of God. And that expression now is the church. And this is fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. That's exactly what Peter is referencing here. Hosea 2.23 I will plant for her for myself in the land. And I will show my love to the one I called not my love. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Well, what about ethnic Israel? Well, Paul makes it clear that God's not done with Israel. He makes it clear that they must be regrafted in by the power of the gospel, by believing in Christ. And I believe there's going to be an evangelistic explosion in Israel. But there's only one people of God. There always has been. You see, when Peter uses the word special possession, that word special means keeping safe and preserving. You are special. I'm keeping you safe and I'm preserving you. I'm preserving my people. I've always preserved my people. I've always kept you safe. And remember, Peter's telling this to persecuted churches. He's saying, don't worry. You are God's holy elect people. You are his church. He will preserve and keep you safe. It doesn't mean we won't experience persecution. As a matter of fact, if you look at redemptive history, and we have the unique perspective of being on the other side of redemptive history when this was written, we see every time or any time anyone's tried to take out the church, the church grows. It just gets bigger and stronger. He's keeping his remnant safe. And this should give us the sense of just awe and wonder and thanksgiving because we are God's elected. He will not let us go. He will keep us safe. He will preserve us no matter what comes our way. You know, I was thinking about my time in the service and I served in, in, during a few different conflicts. Um, some of the Balkan conflicts, Iraq and Afghanistan, and one of the observations I always had was, you know, world leaders will come and go, nations will come and go, but God's church, his special nation, his special possession will never fail. Never. 
You will keep it safe. You will preserve it. So that's number four. The fifth thing. The church is a proclaiming nation. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. So that you may declare, you may proclaim widely and openly the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Darkness, life dominated by evil and ignorance of God into a wonderful light. This exciting, remarkable life of righteousness and knowledge of God. Why do we proclaim? Well, verse 10, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy. Sometimes that, that could just, it doesn't pack the weight that it should. You see, we have to realize that how deprived we are, how sinful we are. We have to have a strong doctrine of sin and who we are apart from Christ. I don't need to tell you, I don't need to wag my finger at you because your heart proclaims what that is. If we don't have a strong understanding of who we are and the darkness of what we are in prior to Christ, his mercy and his grace are not as good. They don't seem as good. It's like, I love a bitter cup of coffee. I love it. I drink my coffee black, strong, love it. And I like eating it with something very sweet. The more bitter that coffee is, the sweeter my treat usually is. But if my coffee is full of sugar or just fluff, this doesn't really seem that good. It's like, yeah, it's all right. We have to understand the bitterness of our sin and who we are apart from Christ to understand the sweetness of grace and mercy that God has bestowed to us in Christ. Why? Because we're that good? Because we're that lovable? No. My wife will tell you I'm not that lovable. Because, because of God's sovereign choice. Because that's who God is. What do we proclaim? Well, verse 9. The praises of him who called you. We proclaim Christ. We proclaim his supremacy. We proclaim his preeminence in all things, in all situations. We proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ crucified. That's what we proclaim. That hopeful message that says, yes, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of the glory of God. And I deserve eternal wrath in hell. Why? Because I've sinned against the holy God. But yet Christ, the very Son of God, stepped down from his throne, lived a perfect and righteous life, and then was nailed to a cross. And we think that it was just a simple act of nailing to the cross that was painful, but it wasn't just that. This was the first time that the eternal Son had felt sin and separation from his eternal Father, and he felt the Father's wrath that we deserved. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done, we've moved from darkness to light. And we are destined for eternal bliss in heaven with him. That's good news. That's hope. That's what we proclaim. About a month before I came here, um, 
I do these weird Google searches sometimes. I know you're looking at, why do I have a look of judgment by some of you? (laughs) You do it too, okay? Um, (laughs) And I I put opportunities in Massachusetts. I don't know why I put that in there. Excuse me. And this survey popped up. And I guess there was a, recently a survey, they surveyed the entire, um, whoever they surveyed, I don't know, one of these surveys. It was like, what state has the most opportunities? If you're considering moving, what state has the most opportunities? And they, they based it off of education, job opportunities, housing opportunities. And Massachusetts was number one. And I thought, wow, Massachusetts is number one. But then I started to think as I prepared to come here as a North Andover campus pastor. And I said, you know what? There is opportunity here. There's opportunity for the gospel. How exciting is that? Do you see that? We are God's chosen, elect, local church that has been placed here in Andover and North Andover to proclaim who Christ is, the supremacy, his gospel, and there's tons of opportunity around us. I don't want to be in any other place. My question to you, church, is how are we going to take advantage of this? As soon as you leave here, you're going to go home, you're going to turn on the TV, maybe listen to the news. You're going to hear about something that's tragic. This heaviness is going to come over you, and there's this anxiety that's going to start, you're going to start feeling. But I want to encourage you. We are his unshakable nation, the church, because our king is the unshakable Lord of all. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you, his church, his nation. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now, and we thank you. We thank you for your sovereign election. We thank you for bringing us together as a body of believers, a local body of believers love you, Jesus. I thank you for connecting us with your global and eternal plan. May we feel this. May we feel your preservation, your love, your hope that is only possible in your son. So we thank you. We thank you for this. We thank you for the church. We love you and we ask that we'd be men and women that proclaim you in word and deed in all contexts of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.